Data can be powerful and persuasive rhetorical tools for nonprofits as they explain the work they do and ask for monetary support from various entities. But not all nonprofits can afford to hire a statistician to crunch numbers for them. An organization in the UK is working to meet the statistical needs of nonprofits and is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University. University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, former Chair of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Robert Mastro Domenico. Mastro Domenico is a fellow of the Royal Statistical Society, as well as owner and founder of Global Sports Statistics. He's also been the chair of RSS's Statisticians for Society initiative since its inception since 2017. Mastro Domenico also is an RSS statistical ambassador, which involves regular work with the media and assisting with their reporting of statistical issues. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Could you just describe how Statisticians for Society started? Uh, it was a, a funny thing. I, I was, I've been with the RSS doing kind of volunteer work for was probably 10 years, I think, about now. Uh, and I was just getting, I'd just been a trustee. So trustee for, I think, five years. And I was going to have a little bit of a break. And, and someone who I knew and I'd worked with there were like, we want to set up an initiative to work with charities. Would you mind like, helping us out, like pick some people to be involved? And so I just did it as a kind of small favour to help uh, get it started. And the more I kind of learned about what they wanted to do, the more I thought, well, actually, I should probably stay on. And the idea was to kind of leverage the RSS membership uh, and all the fellows to try and connect up charities with statisticians and essentially be that kind of uh, middle piece in it to kind of facilitate that. And the idea kind of blossomed from there and, and we you know it ran we, we started it up we got some people involved from the society volunteers like myself along with staff members and the kind of the concept of statisticians for society was born so can you talk a little bit about the uh, some of the, the the groups that you've worked with you know before i, I mean I'm, I'm dying to ask also about how you implemented it i'm also dying to ask if there was a statisticians against society but i, I <laughs> we could we could maybe postpone that to later but but in terms of the groups let's let's just start with what are some of the organizations that you you all have been involved in helping so uh, the kind of the approach we initially took was you know we want to help charities who maybe don't have the resource to help themselves so we set a limit on um, kind of charity turnover, what you're allowed to kind of be making to, you know, sign up for this initiative. And so we're aiming at kind of smaller charities and we still do now. And so um, the initial kind of thing was we were looking, we just kind of put the word out there, were there charities who wanted to do this and just kind of used our contacts that we had at the society. So a lot of the kind of staff members who help administer this, that just kind of use contacts we had from various charities just to see, can we get the word out? And, and would people do this? And, and it was the unknown as well. You know, we, we came into this trying to do something, not knowing if this would succeed and how popular it would be. And I think initially there was um, kind of one instance, we had a charity sign up and they did a, they were doing an interview on Radio 4 and kind of spoke about oh. this BBC Radio 4 for you guys yeah, in yeah, America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from there, we just started getting lots and lots of interest and, uh, in the UK, there's a lot of kind of groups and events you can go to to kind of promote yourself within the charity sector. So 
bit by bit, we started doing more and then yeah. we start getting traction with, uh, you know, charities signing up with, uh, you know, wanting to do work and the variety, it was astounding. You just had lots of different kind of charities all wanting some kind of statistical help or thinking they needed some kind of statistical help. And it was that kind of side that, you know, got the thing going and, and it kind of helped us form what the uh, initiative was because when we started off you have this big idea of you know you want to help charities sounds great and then you start doing it you're like well how do we actually do this and that's <laughs> where we kind of learn over time and where you know over this period we've refined the approach and kind of sure, learn sure. how we can help those charities to help themselves and help the volunteers and that you know it's been a learning process for myself all the people at the society all the volunteers who've been involved in the kind of administration side of it and the volunteers and charities who are actually doing it we're all we've all kind of learned and we've got to a kind of point today where i think we have something like really powerful that you know works so I, I just a quick follow up. Sorry, sorry, Richard, I, I beat you to the punch here. But um, so who was the who was the charity that gave you the shout out on Radio Four, and what what did you do for him? It's going to be really bad that I, I can't remember because oh, uh, we so we we've scoped. I mean, personally, I've probably scoped about 30, 40 charities. Oh my so, goodness! So it might be easier if I explain the process because then you'll kind of realise why I. It's very. I I can remember people who's on it, and I can remember the people who've done it. If I sure, meet sure, them. Sure. But the charities themselves, we deal with lots of them. So uh, the approach that generally happens is um, a charity will, we got the word out about this initiative, a charity will then uh, send through an application, you know, we think we need some help. And that will go directly to the RSS. That will get dealt with. Um, there's a couple of people at RSS who are kind of working on this and they do great work. They'll take the um the initial kind of uh, form that they send in and that will get fed into somebody who's on the scoping committee. So my kind of role when I first got involved was to set up this committee. So this um, uh, it was a group of kind of statisticians and they're all way more eminent than me that, you know, we've got former RSS presidents, very eminent people still in their kind of uh, their, um, their work now. So, you know, we've got some great people and what will happen is one of those people will pick up this um query and we'll have a call with them so and i've i've done quite a few because initially when we were looking to get this going i i was around and you know i i've actively given my time to do this so you'll just speak to the charity the charity will then um you're kind of two-way conversation just to get an idea of what they want because you know as statisticians when you work in a kind of the, somewhere where you've got lots of statisticians it's really easy to know what you want you know you, you get in a groove of what you're doing a charity might have two or three people and they've got, they don't know what they want. They know they might have data or they, some of them do know what they want in that they need to produce reports or produce stuff for reasons. Others are like, we've got surveys, we've got this data. What can we do? How can we get insight? So the, the stage one is that kind of scope. So, um, we'll, and I think I've scoped probably 30, 40 different charities. So quite a lot of a variety. And, and with that, you kind of put this together into some kind of uh, form, which is then used to try and recruit in a volunteer to do the work. So this is where we kind of make use of the network. So we'll then send out uh, a request to the membership to see who wants to do it. And, you know, a lot of the time we'll get a lot of people who uh, show interest and they, they'll send a CV covering letter of, you know, their suitability to it. And certain projects will suit certain skill sets. You know, if we've got a medical based project, then we're looking for somebody with a specific skill set. If we've got survey analysis, we're looking for those people. And we try and facilitate that and make it as easy as possible. So, when you apply, you know what you're getting into. 
from there, then that individual who's chosen will meet with the charity. They will then come up with an, you know, formulate it a bit more if need be, formalize the work, go and do the work. A review panel will then come back and check that just to confirm everything met or what was agreed at the start. And then you get to a point where you've got a happy charity, hopefully, who've got an excellent piece of work and we've kind of uh, formed a relationship. So going back to your original question, I do lots of those. And then when you when somebody like you're like, oh, man, you remember the charity when they come sure, to you sure. and speak about it. But you, it's very easy to forget the names because there's so many of them. Well, that's wonderful. I thought it was interesting looking at the website, Rob that the charities understand that a lot of times to get good donations, they need to have data and statistics. And I thought that was one of the things that looking at some of your projects that sort of came up over and over, I thought that was a, important, this recognition that we're going to need from donors, they're going to want numbers, they're going to want to see data on this. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about, have you worked on a specific project? I was kind of interested in the in the uh, consortium for street children and how you count street children how that worked i don't know if you can speak to that or not so you know i think that was one of my points that's not so in terms of my my role is usually the kind of uh, i'm involved at the start where i kind of speak with charity but i'm pretty sure i was involved in this some way because i do remember or at least this was brought up at some of our meetings in terms of how how this is done and you know the approaches around that it I won't take the credit for doing the work. There'll be a volunteer within the society who's taken the time and given a lot of time to do it. Um, from like my point of view and the kind of scoping committee, what our role is, is just to kind of flesh out a bit of that project. And I think going back to your earlier point where you're talking about charities becoming a bit more savvy about needing data and how they report it, that kind of thing you know, it really impresses me with the charities that come into us, especially when you see sometimes how small they are. I was, you know, they're, they're trying to do really good work on limited budgets and they know they need this, but they don't know specifically, but they've got, you know, there's enough of a kind of knowledge that this is something I want. And my kind of role in a lot of, in, in the kind of whole process is to help them help themselves to get the idea out because they might come to us with something they want. And actually you can kind of tell initially that, a that might not be possible or b that's not really kind of what they want and the more you speak to them like in any kind of consultancy type environment you get more out of them and, and they kind of do the work for you you're just asking the right questions getting them to think in that kind of way and as part of the kind of initiative one of the things we'll be looking at rolling out next year is some resource for charities that mm. you, online allow them to kind of help themselves help make those decisions because what we're not trying to do is teach society statistics and I think that's a really kind of important part that that skill of being a good statistician is you still need the statistician we can give you that but what we maybe can do is help you to figure out some of the bits before you need us or need the statistician to help you make better decisions and understand what you've got and maybe what you can do so that's something that we're working on at the moment and looking to roll out next year, which we're quite excited about. And that kind of resource more focused towards the charities, because obviously there's lots of statistical teachings and resources just in the RSS as a whole. But some of this really focused for them that helps them get engaged with it. Um, not that they're not already. I kind of think we've already touched on charities knowing that they need to do it, but giving letting them empower themselves a bit more and, you know, really take advantage of what they've got. You know, it's a, I know that the RSS has some some really great resources out there. There's resources for journalists, resources for teachers. I'm I'm curious what kind of when you're talking about some of this this future work, 
this, these resources for charities. Can you give kind of an example or two of, of some of the what would be part of those resources? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm uh, as it's kind of as I'm chairing this the kind of initiative. I'm kind of involved now at all levels. I've infiltrated every level of statisticians for society, <laughs> and uh, I'm very much hands on with this part. So there's a and in the very kind of typical RSS fashion, we have another subcommittee within our many committees doing this of individuals, again, volunteers who've given up their time. And we're just trying to put together resources. So a lot of this will be online. A lot of this will be around case studies, maybe videos on, you know, using data, collecting data, things that you need to think about before that, before you get to the point of us. Because what we found probably from experience and, you know, we're over 50 projects in, in the number changes, you know, all the time, right? I can barely keep up with it is that actually you find some charities come to us too late. If they if they knew earlier that they needed us, they could have taken the steps to kind of either get us involved earlier or, have, have, you know, done things a little bit differently. You know, an example is uh, surveys. So we had one charity who remained nameless and they were very, very nice, needed a survey analysing very quickly. And, you know, they came to us and they'd already designed a survey and I'm pretty sure they were already implementing it. And we're like, well, we can help you. But ideally, you should have come to us pre that, but they don't know. And it's like, how can we help get that out? And it's, you know, using examples from charities that we've worked with, um, positive case studies, people kind of talking about their experiences and using kind of common, you know, not statistical techniques, but the understandings that you need to be more savvy with data. We're just trying to make you understand what you've got, not necessarily show you how to do a t-test or you know obtain p-values we don't want you to be doing that we just want you to know how you should be dealing with collecting storing all those bits of the data that you can do yourself um, and, and help the charity just become a bit more savvy with that you're listening to stats and stories our guest today is robert mastro domenico chair of rss's statisticians for society initiative now this work is done pro bono by these statisticians which I think is really interesting. And I, I saw when I was reading uh, up on the, the project's website, sort of the comparison to sort of the, the fact that like lawyers do pro bono work and why, you know, this is something maybe statisticians should consider doing too. Are there many projects like yours where statisticians are doing work pro bono? And I wonder if you've seen what the reaction has been in the sort of statistician world to what the project is, is involved in doing and whether there's been more of an effort to create these kinds of things since um, your initiative began. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we are the originators of doing this. Obviously, from a kind of, for, for statisticians, there wasn't anything like this before, but the OR Society have their own similar initiative. There are other initiatives around which are similar and we're trying to fill our space and do our part, you know, take care of the statistics side of it. But there are other kind of, initiatives that we can kind of if we get a query for example and it's more economics based we can pass you on to somebody who can help there or if we think it's more operational research we'll pass you there and we're not in we, we work together and we would you know we're all trying to kind of all we want to do really is help the charities help themselves so there's no kind of need for us to do things that we think someone else can do better so the guys at the rss um, have been really good in kind of connecting with other groups so we've got really good networks out there and the kind of the charity sector within the UK has a lot of kind of initiatives, people you can speak to, events we present at various places to kind of get out what we're doing. But there are lots of people who are trying to help. And, you know, 
it's it's that bit of trying to get yourself out to the charities is the hardest bit the market because if you're a small charity how can we make ourselves aware to you and i think that's the kind of in general thing that you know we're always trying to be more forward facing but in the right way you know it's not being say on twitter promoting yourself maybe doesn't help a charity that's got four volunteers who aren't on twitter all the time reading about this we need to kind of get to them so we're looking at kind of how we can take advantage of the fact that rss throughout the uk has different kind of local groups um you know concentrations of uh fellows all around the country so we want to take advantage of that and, and kind of spread the word as much as possible rob can you give us an idea of how many statisticians are actually involved in this project you said they're from all over the country yeah, in our membership, it, so the, the membership of the RSS is is obviously nationwide. So when we have we have international members, obviously we have members in the US, just as ASA will have member. You know, people will share those kind of memberships. We have uh, members in Europe, Africa, all around. Um, but obviously, the kind of structure of the RSS, kind of historically, is you would have specialist sections who kind of uh, have. Uh, groups of volunteers who will run events for say sports for example of which i'm vice chair of the sports section but we also have local groups who will run events in their areas and you know that kind of have essentially rss events for people who uh, west midlands or scotland glasgow edinburgh though so we've got concentrations all around so it's how we can kind of connect all the dots to make sure at each level we're getting the word spread because you can do it through kind of promotional materials or going to conferences, which we do lots of. We try and, you know, we'll speak at various conferences um, to try and, you know, get our name out. But we also need to take advantage of the fact that we're kind of nationwide. In terms of the initiative itself, it, it's open to anybody who's a member of the society who signs up to the mailing list to obtain a request. So when we get a request in from a charity, if it goes through the scoping process, I you know, I scoped it, for example, um, we've got something that we want to get a volunteer for. As long as you're a, a fellow, a member of the RSS, and you've subscribed to the mailing list, so you so you sign up through rss.org.uk, then you can basically receive messages to say, you know, we've got the project. Here's a project. Do you want to apply? And you can apply that way. So it's open. You have to be part of the RSS. So we want you need to be a member. It's not open to anybody. So that's probably you know the, the one block for people. But actually. You know, there's a lot of statisticians involved and I think we're at kind of four or five hundred people have signed up to this. And a lot of it is just us also making the society members aware because, you know, at any one time we might have 8000 members in the society. I don't know what the current number is, but, you know, we we're we're doing our work to make it more, um, you know, more known to the members, because in my head, everybody should be signed up really if they can. Yeah. It, you don't necessarily need to do anything, but the more people we can get it out to, the better. But this initiative has kind of grown from a pilot scheme when it was set up to now something where we've got funding for the next five years. So that's also part of our kind of growth. It's not just to get it out to more charities, but to get it, uh, you know, seen by more members within the society, because probably like the ASA, you know, there's lots and lots of things going on. And so it's not necessarily cutting through the noise, but it's just kind of making sure we can get it in front of all the members and people are kind of seeing what's there because it may not be for every member of the right. society because people join for different reasons. But I think it will be something that a lot of people would be very interested in at least knowing about and seeing what comes through. 
because what we kind of hope is we'll match you up when we get somebody who wants to do the work that they have a genuine interest in that kind of charity. And we've seen that a lot. People are signing up because it's something they're passionate about, you know, an area that they want to kind of work in. And that makes it all the better because we can kind of cultivate those long-term relationships kind of, if you think of us as the people who are setting up the work, then once the work's done, we don't want you just to stop. You know, we don't want the statistician or charity not to ever speak again. It's not, not like we're involved. We want you to kind of have those long-term relationships. Yeah. And we're, and as the kind of, we're starting to see that with more and more complete projects that we, we do a kind of review call and it's great to see, oh, we're going to do this next. We're going to do that next. And it's like, yeah, you've made a bit of a difference, which is, you know, it's really cool. That's 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 really neat. I I love the fact that that you've got this coordinated effort. I mean, there have been efforts like this. I mean, for example, the ASA had the statistics in the community or Statcom effort that's that started at Purdue, and it was basically student volunteers that were looking to quote they were providing pro bono stat consulting to local nonprofit, governmental, and community service organizations. But I think that that you know what you have is the centralized coordinated effort. I like the idea that that you have this clearinghouse that you're kind of centralized and you're doing it's 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 a it's more of a coordinated as opposed to a distributed response which i think may be pretty effective because a small charity may know about rss but may not know about what is a statistician and where do i find them locally so that appeals i'll tell you one thing i really liked about the way that you all report your case studies you know that you you ended up partitioning it into the request the approach the result and impact and benefits. Yeah. And I, I, that, you know, all of a sudden I thought, huh, I mean, maybe I'm going to change the way I think about my data practicum classes and some of the ways that we might talk to our, our classes about, about how they would build up the results. So I think that was really nicely framed. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how populate those, those components as part of interactions with the charities? So uh, I'm not going to take uh, credit for all the case studies and how they are. Um, Amira and Amica, who from the RSS, who deserve a big shout out, have been involved along the whole way. And they're not statisticians by trade, but they help all of us who are kind of all the volunteers. They kind of keep us along the right path and help us kind of do what we need to do. And that kind of level of coordination is, is key. So those guys are key. So they've got their shout out on this. But into, we, we kind of report along the way. So uh, the one of the things we've learned since we've started is how we just keep a track of things because it kind of like in any business, like if you've got lots and lots of projects, if you're, it, it's, this is like a consultancy. I, I kind of think of it as we've got lots of projects going. We've got some centralized people within the RSS who are trying to manage all of that, but we kind of need that level of accountability, not necessarily if it goes wrong, but we also, we need to know if things do slow down. And we've learned that through experience that sometimes, you know, when you're relying on volunteers and charities that, you know, people's, what was important to them changes, you know, you can have something like a global pandemic and your uh, priorities may change. And we've seen that with certain charities who, you know, this isn't necessarily, they may have signed up to kind of do something, but this isn't really top of their priority right now. Um, and so it's that kind of approach of just logging all the steps. And we've kind of, as we've grown from a scoping committee, we've added a review committee, We've added certain meetings along the way that we've learned from experience. And so, and the kind of, uh, the, the kind of thing I talked about earlier, where we have a kind of end of project meeting, where we kind of really get to understand what happened, what was the results, all of that kind of allows us to come up with this kind of approach where we, we can kind of really show what happened and show it step by step. And we do talks where we get volunteers to talk about their experiences, how it was for them. We can, we also do it with charities where we're like, how is, how is it for you? And it's different for everybody. You know, it's different for a scoper, a reviewer, somebody who's done the work and a charity who's involved in it. And with the kind of help of centralized staff at the RSS and the volunteers who are scoping and reviewing, 
we've kind of formulated a kind of neat way of working that seems to be, you know, we seem to have something down now that allows us to, you know, work with lots of charities simultaneously and provide that level of kind of support and service that, you know, every, they need on both sides because it's as much about us supporting the statistician as it is the charity. Everybody's involved in this. And, you know, the, the statistician's giving away their time for free. They're doing this work. We need to support them and allow them to work as well as possible with that charity. So we've, through experience, and, you know, I'm not going to say we had this down perfect straight away. You know, we learn by doing. And every time, you know, we do, we did a project, we learned how better to do it. And, you know, getting lots and lots of opinions, a lot of, lot of kind of people who are passionate about this and, and, and even charities feeding back into us has kind of allowed us to create something that we hope can grow and work going forwards. Have you had any any new kind of projects that have emerged as a consequence of these uh, these COVID-19 days in which we live? Have, have this motivated certain spe- specific kind of questions from some pro- some charities? So COVID for us, we're feeling the effect of it in terms of number of charities who are coming to us because, and as expected, you know, the furlough scheme, everything we've had in the UK in terms of people kind of, you know, batting down the hatches and just trying to get through it. And uh, I did an event with the OR Society and a few other charities where we were talking about the effects of COVID and trying to kind of look at how data can be used and what people would want to do with it. And we've seen our numbers go down over this period. Luckily, the the way it works with us is we have a, you know, a kind of a lag effect in that we're, we're still fairly busy with projects ongoing, but there will come a time where actually are these projects going to dry up. But then what will probably happen is this will open up uh, opportunities for charities who maybe weren't eligible because of turnover and, and that kind of effect. So what we're trying to do is prepare ourselves for kind of what's going to come out of this, where people will need to do stuff. And I, we fully expect it to, you know, charities will need to be using data and the COVID effects may be things that they will need to start showing as and when they need to do end of year reports or they're looking at the effect of it. One of the things we have seen is kind of a lot of charities UK-wide have kind of really increased their digital capacity. And that's probably one of the bigger things that's happened nationwide with us during this. And so that kind of makes things a lot easier. We can, we're speaking with charities who maybe before didn't have, you know, online facilities to doing conferences, meetings, and, you know, or storing their data in certain ways. Everyone's kind of adjusted in the UK to this kind of remote working. And I think that's going to have a positive net effect on, you know, how charities work because we had seen before the way charities stored and used data maybe wasn't optimal, but they seem to be kind of upskilling themselves from just, you know, the, the small sample sizes we're dealing with, obviously. I'm not going to make huge inferences off that, but the, my kind of hope is that out of this, we can help more charities when they need that help with it. And we're set up, we're waiting, you know, we will be there for them when they want it. So hopefully we can help as many charities as possible. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Robert, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu and check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.